And next tonight, imagine something, something, something different. Welcome to DSASF's The Priority Podcast. Through this podcast series, you'll hear education sessions, reports from our priority campaigns, and exclusive interviews from the co-chairs from each of the priority campaigns. In each episode, you'll also hear more about how you can get involved to fight for socialist transformations in San Francisco, across the country, and around the world. I'm Savannah Kwong, and joining me today is Alicia Foster, who is one of the co-chairs of the Black Liberation and Indigenous Sovereignty Priority Campaign, or BLISS for short. The goal of BLISS is to develop our internal and external commitments to prioritize Black liberation, Indigenous sovereignty, and racial justice. Part of this also means taking internal initiatives as necessary reflections and transformations of our organizing culture and inclusivity of our spaces to not only further anti-racism work, but to also dismantle white supremacy within and in San Francisco. In this episode, you will learn about Alicia's background followed by a Q&A on what the Bliss campaign is currently working on. So Alicia, can you introduce yourself? Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. Um, and actually I'm gonna do it in like kind of a, a specific style. Um, I, so I was having a great conversation with this like really radical socialist um, organizer and educator the other day and he introduced this concept to me of the, the social biography where it, it helps us to organize together if we understand each other's experience um, and, and struggle. Um, so, so my social biography, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it um, and, and kind of show you um, what that is. So I, um, so yeah, I grew up, uh, I was born and raised in the, the suburbs of Nashville, Tennessee. Um, it was relatively affluent suburb, um, you know, uh, no, low, low crime, all this, this stuff, a, a lot of white people. Um, and then, you know, some minority groups like black folks, uh, Indian folks, uh, uh, and Chinese folks, uh, mostly. Um, but, uh, so, so my parents were, um, you know, solidly professional working class. So I, I was born into the professional working class. I never had to, to struggle for anything. I always had my needs met. Um, my, my parents in fact, didn't even allow me to work because they said my education was, uh, was most important, but, um, but you know, uh, so, so that's kind of my, my background. Um, and then I, you know, I was, I was very kind of, uh, disenchanted with, um, with a lot of parts of, of my life, um, you know, being, uh, you know, all, all, you know, race, having racialized experiences, um, being treated as a woman is often treated in the society, right? So just various, uh, degrees of like dehumanization that had like a very, very deep impact on me from my, my early childhood. Um, and, uh. Yeah, and so that's informed a lot of kind of my 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 life experiences and and uh, and my organizing uh, since then. So I'm I'm very very interested in in anti-racism work, and I'm very very interested in in pulling people up who have been made to feel less than, so that they can organize on the same level as the rest of us. Because I see the natural power imbalance that society society creates, and the the huge loss that that we have from that. That's kind of where I come from and, um, and my approach to, to the work that I'm doing. 
So Alicia, can you briefly explain why the Bliss Campaign is important as a priority for the chapter? Um, yeah, I'd love to. So uh, kind of the purpose behind uh, the original resolution, so, so Bliss stands for Black Liberation and Indigenous Sovereignty. Um, and that's kind of what we're trying to move toward um, as a chapter. And so the, the point behind the resolution was to to, to try to take an intentional step um, toward becoming the kind of anti-racist chapter um, that we want to be. Um, and and I, I like the term like multicultural working class chapter because to me that sets a really great vision for um, the organization that I would like to be a part of. Um, and DSASF has um, a lot of steps to take to get there. Um, but but basically the writers and I wasn't part of writing the resolution I just kind of helped to edit it um, a little bit based on my own knowledge of what I you know knew needed to change but um, but the writers I felt very strongly about um, experiences that they and other people of color in, in DSASF um, have had with unfortunately uh, being like excluded. Um, dealing with microaggressions, um, macroaggressions, dealing with um, like different aspects of of white supremacy culture that are present in DSASF. So part of the resolution is um, is an audit. Uh, so a chapter anti-racism audit, and that's um, kind of attempting to to clarify, right, to make clear um, where the chapter currently is and what's going on. And then part of the, the resolution called for um, a lot of political education because people who claim to be socialists don't do white supremacist things on purpose, um, usually. And, uh, you know, and our comrades are trying, but they don't. They, we need political education um, here in order to learn how to treat each other properly and why um, and how to decolonize our ideologies. Um, and then finally, the last part, which I know less about, but, um, but because I, I have done a lot of internal work um, in the chapter in the past few years, not that much external work, because um, I'm focused on chapter culture. But the last part is, is really calls for um, us to, as a chapter, to prioritize um, working with um, other organizations of, uh, of color and, and people of color, um, especially Black-led organizations, um, on, on things that are, are important to, to like these populations, like to, to people that are not in DSA-SF, right? Which is a um, majority white chapter, right? Um, yeah, majority white middle class, upper middle class. So we hear, you know, why we hear about dismantling racism quite often in the workplace, uh, you know, regarding to like DEI and stuff like that, and also in our culture. So why do you think it's not any dif different in socialist spaces like DSA? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Um, yeah, I've been thinking about that one a lot um, because I'm so I'm in charge of the audit, um, the anti-racism audit, and uh and it's really easy to do audits and um, anti-racism work in a way that doesn't end up having 
an impact, uh, like a long-term impact. Um, like for instance, giving trainings and, um, and workshops over, you know, one or two days, um, that are, have really interesting content and makes you think, but then, um, doesn't next necessarily have like next steps for, for how you can kind of implement what you've learned. Um, so I've been thinking a lot about like, what, what is the process by which anti-racism transformation occurs in white people, which is, you know, I want to mention that, you know, both of us here talking are, you know, we're people of color and, um, and we are often the ones thinking about this work, um, which in itself is something that white people really need to, um, to keep in mind, uh, when that happens, that this work shouldn't be disproportionately on us. Um, but, uh, but I do care a lot about DSASF and I care about my comrades. Um, and so I've done, I've done a lot of research trying to understand how, how we, how we shift and why, why we're in a place in the first place of, of not, not being aware, um, of the harm that we're causing. And ultimately, uh, it's, it's really just a, like what it is. I think a big part of it is that the air we breathe is white supremacy um, and white supremacy culture. For instance, um, one one piece, um, there's a lot of different uh, like things that we do every day, um, or at least that I do every day, that are actually aspects of white supremacy culture. Of um, And one of the examples of this is like kind of a sense of urgency where we feel like we need to get done with things quickly so that we can move on to the next thing because productivity is what's important. And in order to do that, sometimes we sacrifice um, getting all the perspectives um, that are needed in order to do something well. Or sometimes we sacrifice thinking long-term um, because we want a short-term win. Um, so a sense of urgency is like, you know, it's kind of an example of how something that, you know, we don't, learn about in texts necessarily. I, I haven't, you know, read theory about white supremacy culture and giving examples like this, right? Um, but it, it's in our everyday actions often and, and our approaches to organizing together and it results, the end result is exclusion um, of certain voices um, and prioritization of certain voices. So it's it, an imbalance of power, right? It contributes to a, an imbalance of power. So I would say, uh, you know, and let me know if you if if you have quite further questions about that. But uh, I would say that that's kind of, in large part, why we why we are where we are. And I would say the second the the other thing that I want to mention about that is that you don't know what you don't know. So people of color, I mean, and and this feels obvious as I'm saying it, but I don't know if it's obvious to white folks um, that people of color recognize microaggressions, they recognize um, white supremacy in action, intentional or unintentional, much more often than white people do. And that's simply because we have more experience um, with being at the, the receiving end of white supremacy and the harm that comes with it. So um, we're in the struggle in that way uh, against white supremacy more so than white folks are. There's a privilege there that allows them to be separate from the struggle. And so um, 
you don't know what you don't know until you make an effort to figure out what you don't know. And then you make an effort to, to know it. So you don't even know that you don't know it sometimes. And so it's very easy to say, that's not happening because I wouldn't, I would at least know that something weird is happening and I don't even know that anything weird is happening, but, um, but that's wrong. So in other words, it's more so that, um, white folks aren't necessarily able to see what's happening until it's actually being presented to them in a way as well. Yeah, unfortunately. And, um, and, and see that that's it, that is a problem in itself because, um, like something I want to mention that's, that's true of DSASF that, you know, is not, it's not fun to hear and it's not fun to say, but it's a part of learning and growth. Um, in, in, you know, in the, the society that we're in now, is that people of color have spoken up about mistreatment and about experiences that they've had of exclusion and, um, and like unintentional racism, right? Over and over, and not just over and over, but they've spoken up, people of color in our chapter have spoken up over and over and over and over and over. Um, and over the last five years that I've been a part of DSA, since we kind of reconstituted in uh, late 2016. And, uh, and I, I've been aware of this because I am, so I'm, I'm actually half white. Uh, my dad's white, my mom's Indian, but I look full Indian and my experiences are those of a person of color in most ways. And so I, because I have those experiences and I've, had things happen to me, I recognize it when it happens to other people. And when they're speaking about it, right, I know, I see that it's happening, right? So I've seen all, like, many of the instances in which people spoke up in our chapter, and they weren't, they weren't listened to over and over and over and over and over, which is part of white supremacy culture is that if we don't know something, we don't get curious about it. We kind of just shut it down because there's kind of a one right way mentality, like, like, no, no, this is, this is what is familiar to me. This is kind of what is comfortable um, for me to think. And I like having certainty. Um, uncertainty, creativity is a little bit out there, you know? So like, let's do it like this, this way. Um, and I feel like you're offering something that just sounds like you're trying to start a fight because I don't get what you're saying. So um, can you stop, you know? And so that has consistently happened in our chapter. So moving on then, um, because that kind of... Um pretty much captures everything that is not any different than in other uh, workplaces as well. But, you know, part of this work also means bringing in consultants to support this process. Um, and due to the fact that DSA SF is volunteer run, uh, what is going to be their role and how will they be interacting with our members at large? Great question. Um, so I've been thinking a lot about that too, because I really want to approach it um, intentionally. And I know there were some folks in the chapter that said that maybe we shouldn't have consultants and we should do things internally. And I've kept that in my mind the whole time because I think there are a lot of valid, like, like things that, that people have brought up around that, like why we shouldn't have an outside consultant. Um, so ultimately, I'm, I've been talking to, to two people that I got really excited about. Um, and, and, they, uh, you know, we haven't made a final decision yet, um, but I'm kind of leaning one way uh, after speaking to, to a, a 
potential consultant yesterday. Um, and uh, I will say, for now I'll say, um, the role of the consultant in my mind is to keep the process informed. Um, so I want, I want someone who really knows white supremacy culture and how organizations move toward being, I mean, to me, it's toward being truly socialist, right? Because socialism is anti-racism. It is anti, um, you know, anti-sexism. It's, you know, it's, it's anti-homophobia. It's, um, all of these things were kind of tied into the creation of capitalism, like capitalism depended on um, racism, sexism, you know, homophobia, all of these, like ableism, like in order to function. So to, to, to distance them from each other, to say there's capitalism over here, and then we also have to think about anti-racism over here, is, um, is not possible. It's, it's not it's not um, it's not an accurate way of, of looking at history, and it's not an accurate way of, of looking at how capitalism works. So to reduce capitalism or or the fight for socialism to a fight about class, um, uh, and then to say that racism, anti-racism, comes separately is uh, is is wrong. And I think I've I think I've rambled a little bit, but basically what I was um, what I was trying to say is that I I want someone who's who's really well versed in kind of like a a socialist organizer who understands how all of that fits together and how we how we become the most radical organization that we can be and I want someone like that kind of consulting us Um, and I also want them to be someone that works with communities of color um, working class communities of color because that's who we want to feel comfortable in our organization or that's who I want to feel comfortable in our organization no I think all of us want that we all want that we want to struggle together. You know, we want to have solidarity. Um, we want to be united in the struggle. We don't want to just be white, upper middle class people, which we're not, but majority we are. Um, so so uh, that's one thing I want in a consultant. And I also want a consultant who, um, who can step in and kind of help facilitate discussions um, as needed. So it's kind of an advisor role. Um, and then also to, to facilitate like group discussions or, or potentially interviews. Um, getting perspectives from uh, especially people of color in our chapter on on what they've experienced and what they need. And um, I actually have a follow-up question about that. So given Mm -hmm. that you're meeting, you met with two consultants and you're leaning towards one at the moment, uh, do you have a specific timeline for that whole process that you just mentioned? um, Mm -hmm. Or is that still in the works after um, deciding on a consultant? That's a great question. So I, uh, you know, we are a volunteer organization and I'm doing this work, you know, I'm, I'm not currently getting paid for it. So, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm keeping it to me that the priority is to find the right person, um, not to do it within the tightest time frame. So we had planned to have someone, um, on the books, you know, by October, it is October. Um, and that, that may happen, um, but I also want to give I want to give space uh, and and time if that if that process needs to take longer, um, and also get room for feedback. So what I haven't done yet is since I've I've talked to these consultant hopefuls, uh, I haven't gotten feedback from 
from different chapter chapter members who I think might uh, who who care about this, you know, who care about who our consultant is, and you know, there's there's always people who care a lot, and then that you know that if you reach out for feedback, then they'll they'll want to give theirs. So um, that's something that I really want to do and take the time to do that because this should be a collective process, right? Even though I'm facilitating it, it should be collective. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I think that ties into the overall, um, you know, theme that we have in terms of being volunteer run and also making sure that we're taking our time in this process. So I was just curious about the timeline itself, just because, you know, some folks may be interested in that um, and just trying to figure out like when to hear more about these updates. But obviously, um, you know, this process will take as much time as we need, especially since this is a very important work. So I actually um, want to move on to the next question, which is, you know, you did mention that you're currently working on an audit um, to basically help us find some concrete steps to pretty much not only reduce the presence of white supremacy and, you know, the culture itself, um, but to also improve our collective organizing also. So can you talk about how you plan to roll this out and, you know, what does it actually entail? Yeah, definitely. So um, I always love talking about the audit and how it's going to work because I, I would say at this point I've kind of redone, you know, my, my plan for it a, a few times um, just based on, on feedback that I've gotten and on uh, things, new things that I've learned um, about what makes for successful organizational transformation. Um, because that's the ultimate goal of the audit. Even though we're doing this audit to clarify what is, it's with the intent um, that this information helps us move forward um, into what we want. Um, so into, uh, you know, the, the words of the resolution are, you know, uh, DSASF will reduce white supremacy, you know, in our organization um, and white supremacist structures in our organization. So that's that's what I'm like having, keeping my eye toward because that's my dream, right? That we're really, really going to like be in real solidarity with each other and have new people come in and feel that we're really in, everyone is in solidarity with them and they, they can be heard. Um, so the process for the audit is um, this is where I'm at now. And once we sign our consultant on, um, we are going to have, um, I want to have them weigh in and potentially like uh, tweak the plan, right? But, um, but sort of the plan is, uh, it's kind of a couple of different parts that um, we're going to conduct um, okay, so how, how do I want to kind of say this? Because I, I, I write it all out, and it, it makes sense written out, but, um, but speaking it, so one part of what we're going to do is we're going to assess member knowledge um, of several, of three, three major areas, right? So of racial capitalism. What do members know right now about racial capitalism? Um, what do members know right now about anti-oppressive behaviors so how to how to treat each other how to treat comrades of color how to you know how to avoid um, microaggressions right um, and then the third one is uh, decolonized ideologies so what do our members know about um, what a decolonized ideology is and and are there ideologies you know there's many different ideologies that none are better than the other but um, 
but are they decolonized? Because that's extremely important. We cannot be claiming to be socialist um, and have like ideologies that are problematic, right? That's that's outside the big tent of DSASF. Um, racism is outside the big tent. Okay, it should be. It needs to be. So um, so basically, we're gonna kind of conduct like an assessment of member knowledge around that in the form of kind of like surveys that that will either take all together during a chapter meeting just to make sure that it's kind of everyone's kind of doing it um or or that we'll have you know some other way of kind of having people do it together like in committees or you know something like this so that's one part of the audit um another part is kind of uh like it's it's conducting interviews primarily with members of color, former members of color, and um, yeah, and other people of color who are associated with DSA or in DSA's SF sphere. Um, because those are the voices that we haven't heard. Those are the voices that are underrepresented. Um, and that's what we're trying to address is, um, is their experiences. Um, and, and then uh, we're also gonna have like it's called artifact analysis. It's kind of like a, a yeah, a, a tool that like project managers use sometimes. And it's where, you know, we're going to go through all of our written artifacts. So our Slack channel, our signals, um, our, uh, you know, maybe not signals cause it's supposed to be kind of private. Um, but, uh, that can be part of the interviews that people talk about signal, but, um, you know, our, our forum, our, uh, DSASF, folder, you know, our bylaws, all of this, our code of conduct, and kind of understand it in terms of what may be unintentionally contributing to white supremacy culture. Um, and, you know, as, as an example, I'm not, I'm not saying it's wrong to have bylaws, um, but, but something, you know, that, that is a good example is, um, you know, the understanding the process by which we came to have bylaws. Um, bylaws are a very, uh, you know, it's a, it's a law kind of concept that we, you know, and, and what is law? Law is a very white, uh, white field. Um, and it's a very white, like conceived field. Um, and, and different cultures, uh, do things like this in, in very different ways. And we made kind of a, like, we, to my understanding, of course, the audit's going to go into this in, in much more detail and the consultant is going to do a lot of this work. But to my understanding, we made kind of a you know, of course, organizations have bylaws decision um, to make bylaws. And I don't know if that was necessarily wrong, but, um, but you know, that's, that's part of what the audit is for, right? To, to understand the process by which decisions are made and, um, and whether there are ways to improve that process um, and to, yeah, to open up uh, room for other, other structures that might serve a wider membership better. Right, and then um, the other part of the audit that I want to mention is that we're going to be doing, we're going to be creating some criteria. So we're going to start measuring things that are that, that are important, right? So, for instance, we don't measure um, the demographics, the racial demographics of our members at all. So if I, if you know, if you if you were like, so exactly how many DSA members are people of color, and how many are you know are white? Like, what's the percentage? My answer would be, okay, so in 2019, for half the year, when I would come into a, uh, a chapter meeting, I would count by hand the people of color and the white people because I really wanted to know. 
because I wanted us to in increase the number of people of color. And it came out to around, on average, across those six meetings, 20% um, people of color, you know? But, but that's, that's, you know, that's a ridiculous way to try to tabulate information because I'm just doing it visually and that there's all sorts of errors. So we wanna start, um, we wanna start understanding where we're at in terms of, so um, setting up the, the system to record those demographics, right? Um, setting up a way to uh, record retention, uh, to, to have uh, exit interviews potentially, um, right? So we wanna determine what criteria are important to us. Like we wanna understand why people of color leave so that we can iteratively like improve or you know, whatever. And, and start putting those like measurement, um, like yeah, like systems in place simplest ones possible, right? To just start getting the ball rolling on on understanding where we're at and then do initial measurements, right? So we wanna know where we're at uh, with the intent that we're gonna take measurements again later to see if we've improved. And oh, and of course the, the, you know, the end of the audit is once we've done all of these things, um, we wanna compile our findings together um, so it's going to be me working with the consultant, right? So they're going to do part of it and I'm going to do part of it. Um, cause you need ex internal and external partnership cause they don't know what's going on internally unless I tell them what they don't know. And I don't know what they know until they tell me. So, um, we're going to work together and come up with a basic report of our findings. And, and we also want to kind of share them ongoing, you know, with the chapter, um, for feedback, not just at the end. And then, uh, recommendations, right? For how the, the steps that we take um, to start to get ourselves out of this, of wh where we found ourselves. And does this, uh, sorry, does this more of a follow-up question, but um, mm -hmm. will part of this audit also include, you know, trying to get a better sense of uh, people's knowledge on the structures behind whether it be um, bylaws or, you know, resolutions and all of that, will that also be part of the audit? Just because um, a lot of different members, whether they are uh, old or new, um, may have different experiences with understanding how each each bylaw or structure of the chapter works. So I was curious mm -hmm. if that will be included in there as well. Yeah, for sure. So part of the the interviews the way that the interviews with people are going to be structured is kind of like understanding what people are not empowered to do in the chapter and what they are empowered to do and when they felt solidarity versus alienation in the chapter so so part of that is not being able to access things part of that is not understanding how certain things work um or conversely you know really loving using slack for example yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah. So, and basically trying to get a better sense of accessibility. Yes. Needs um, that are not being met and that are being met. Awesome. So I'm going to move on to the next question then, um, which is, you know, Bliss is committed to fighting white supremacy also in the city of San Francisco, um, which of course is where we are. Um, yet we are actually on stolen and occupied Ramaytush Ohlone land. So many agitators in the city often promote white supremacist narratives overall, which can then lead to more challenges, especially for black, indigenous, and communities of color. 
Why do you think that is? So a lot of kind of people who are trying to uh, make changes in, in San Francisco and, and the amount of policing and all this kind of stuff are, you know, really messing things up. Um, and, you know, and San Francisco has has this reputation of being a progressive city. And, um, you know, and there's a lot of activists and a lot of people who care a lot here. And a, some of those people who care a lot are um, really misinformed about what, what's going to make things better. Um, and I think I actually believe that, uh, no, this is just true. It's just the truth that part of uh, how America works, uh, you know, and it's kind of from the, the 1950s and from our culture of individualism is that uh, we don't, there's not that much um, interclass like dialogue in, in the sense that, I, you know, I grew up in a, you know, in a suburb in Nashville, Tennessee. And I, you know, man, I met this one girl one time who was like in an orphanage. And I was just like, what? It just blew my whole world apart because I didn't even know that that was possible. Um, because every single other person that I knew in my, in my life was middle-class, um, suburban, just like me, you know? And I, I think a lot of us kind of grow up like that where we are surrounded by our you know, people in our class, or at least in, you know, class uh, similar to ours, right? If we're blue collar working class, we're surrounded by a lot of blue collar working class people, you know, this kind of thing. And we, and, and people similar to our race. And there's just a lot of kind of separation, atomization. Um, and so people think that they're really helping. Um, people think they're really helping, or they're just racist and they don't want people to be near them because they don't understand and they're scared because um, that's what racism is I mean I grew up in the south racism is fear it's you know it's economic insecurity and it's and it's fear of of people that you don't know and of a lifestyle that you don't understand so I would say that you know we as a freaking country are just so uh, miseducated on on white supremacy what it is what it can look like um, and that's why I'm really excited to be doing this work because I'm uneducated on it. You know, I'm undereducated. I wouldn't say uneducated, but I'm undereducated and I want to learn the ways that it impacts my life. And when I do my activism, I'm accidentally, you know, um, propping up white supremacist narratives. You know, I want to get that out of, out of my organizing. So I think it's, it's a process. It's going to be a process for all of us. And some people are just, you know, they're going to get dragged along behind. Um, but I want DSASF to be helping lead the way. Um, not in the sense that white people are leading the way, but in the sense that the people of color here are leading the way and the people of color that are gonna join are gonna lead the way. Um, and in your words, you know, can you talk about some of the goals Bliss will try to achieve to white supremacy in San Francisco? Or if there are any specific, um, you know, hopes that you hope to achieve in that way too? Yeah, for sure. So to my understanding, so this is something that Rakesh is is working on, is our kind of our external focused efforts, um, Bliss's external focused efforts. So um, to my understanding right now, so, you know, we're a majority white organization, as I've said, <laughs> and, and right now, best thing that we can do is 
look internally, work on fixing ourselves, and um, start to build trusting relationships where we are showing up for communities uh, of color and organizations that need need support, right? We have privilege um, and we need to be using that more to support people. So we need to, um, it's not that we are kind of trying to be a, any kind of a leader and, and um, you know, and like tearing down white supremacy in the, in the sense that, you know, we're, we're you know, um, we're doing like taking any major stands um, now, at least from, from the bliss perspective. And I would say that we, we put out statements, wonderful statements about, you know, um, Palestine and, you know, like we, we put out really important statements of, of, uh, of support for, for marginalized uh, populations. And I think that that's extremely important, but the work that bliss is trying to do is, is more long-term work, trust building work, community building work, where we build, where we build real relationships with communities of color so that we can show up in the ways that they ask us to show up um, and that they trust us enough to ask us to show up for them. And to me, that's how we really root out white supremacy um, is by listening to and centering voices of color. And lastly, uh, where should folks support this work? And how should folks reach out to the Bliss Campaign for any specific questions as well? Well, you know, I uh, well, if they if they want to reach out, if folks have questions, then please email us at bliss b l i s at d s a s f dot org. And I love to hear questions and feedback and thoughts. Um, you know, if if you're white, think hard about what you're asking um, and what you know what of my time you want. Um, but but I love I do love answering questions. Um, I would say that to support. So when I'm, when I'm speaking to a person of color um, in DSA or outside of DSA about a, a way to, to support, I would say, um, tell me what you need. <laughs> so let, let me, let me, you know, hear your, you know, your voice and you telling me like what you need in your, in your activist organizing spaces. Um, because that really, really, really supports DSASF, um, and you know, you don't, you don't have to do anything, but you sharing your, your, your feedback is is amazing. And if you're white, I would say, I need you, I need you, to, um, to, to like internalize first of all. So, so it's a process of of increasing our consciousness, right? Of like that we don't know what we don't know. So we we accidentally deprioritize. Um, the values and the, the culture of people of color, right? Um, and, and the ways that they, they need to organize. And we force people to assimilate into our, our preferred ways of organizing as, as white people, right? So the, the first step, you know, that you take is just understanding that you don't know what you don't know um, and that other people may have a point and you don't, you don't get it yet. You're not there yet. But that doesn't mean that you shoot it down because you're in a position of relative power. So you need to take a step back, you know? Um, and, and then I would say the second way that white people can support is by understanding what white supremacy culture is. So I actually have some cool doc, um, like information documents about it um, that were sent to me by some awesome comrades. And I 
love to share that out and it can start people thinking about how to act in different ways. So personal ownership is definitely a part of this journey because there's an internal shift that has to happen in white people. There's and it, and if it doesn't happen, then the organizing suffers, you know? We the, the solidarity suffers. Um, and the work suffers, you know? And we we get further away from building socialism in our time, you know? So that's the way that people can really support um, this the best because the audit's just a little a little piece, you know, it's just kind of trying to, to show what is, right? And the political education efforts, we got people working on that, you know? But what we need is for people to take this effort into their own heart, you know, and be working on themselves. The Democratic Socialists of America is the largest socialist organization in the United States with over 120 chapters in 49 states and with over 1,000 members in the DSASF chapter. To learn more about our work, go to dsasf.org. And to join as a member, go to dsausa.org. <laughs>